between the four of us in the house, we are out doing sport, either one, two or three of us every single day of the week. I'm very comfortable in chaos. That's what I would say is a, uh, a big driver of all of this. It would not be for everyone. Hi, my name is John O'Driscoll and you are very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Ask yourself one question. Have you a blueprint for success? Are you doing all you can do to get where you want to be? Join me and my guests each week as we discuss their blueprint for success. Please drop us a like or a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Google, and please give us a five out of five star rating. It does really help. Thank you so much. So this week's episode of the Blueprint Podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Jackie Hurley. Jackie is a sports broadcaster on both TV and radio, uh, an author, and the next Leona McGuire, aspiring golfer. So Jackie, <laughs> welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Thanks a million for having me. Jeez, that's a big introduction, which I cannot <laughs> say that I would be anywhere near, but yeah, I'll give it a crack. Um, Jackie, I suppose looking objectively, you have the dream job of any sports enthusiast in Ireland um, covering the Rugby World Cup, uh, the um, Olympics, Sunday game. As a young girl going up in Ballinhasig, how much of a of a dream was this, and how uh, obviously it's been an overnight success for twenty something years, I I presume. Yeah, I mean, like it was a long held dream, but you never think it's going to happen. Like you you turn on the TV, you never think it's going to be you. Like the reality is, I kind of thought, yeah, look, that would be amazing. You know, I, when I was in transition year in school, I remember saying to, you know, I went to the convent in Bandon. I remember saying to Sister Nora, who was kind of our career guidance teacher at the time, that I wanted to work in the media. And she, I wouldn't say she laughed at me, but she certainly encouraged me to look at multiple other options because I think she felt like there's absolutely no chance this is going to happen for you. But I was pretty ruthless about chasing something. And that that's kind of like one of the, I suppose it's one of the things that I would be um, really passionate about when I'm talking to kids in particular now where I just say, why why can't it be you? You know, yeah. because it, like it, it was me now, you know, and I guess if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to make it work. And I guess I was just kind of like, how do I plot my way through this? You know, I picked the right course. I went to Limerick. I picked an internship that took me like into the middle of America that loads of other people wouldn't have taken. And I think it was just kind of all about picking a, a route that would suit me, that would end up, look, I mean, in saying all that, I never thought I'd end up doing what I'm doing. Like, mm -hmm. but it's just, I guess it was plotting it through in a way that was doable for me so that I was chasing something that was tangible as opposed to it being this wild dream. And then it was like, look, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, I have a really good backup plan as well. Do you ever get your pinch yourself moments when you're covering an Olympics or you're on television and you're just after witnessing one of the best football games or rugby games or hurling games and just go like like live TV must be one of the toughest spheres to operate in because there's there's no second takes how do you um, temper your nerves or deal with the expectations of deliverance the whole time 
the hardest part is keeping your emotions in check when you know people involved. Mm -hmm. So the Olympics to me is always a particularly difficult one because I would know a lot of the Olympians. And I guess just over the years, I've gotten to know a lot of them. And, you know, you're kind of there, you're talking to them because like lots of people only see the Olympics in every four years when it's on TV. But for a lot Mm -hmm. of these athletes, like they don't have the publicity or the profile that like our GA players, our rugby players and our soccer players have. Like they're out at the Institute and they're training away and they, you know, they're they're not getting mega money and all this. You just kind of you have a different relationship with those people because you understand that next week most of their media is gone again. And then you just kind of I, I don't know, I always just found like with particularly with a lot of like our good Olympians over the years, you just would have really bought into their stories. And I always kind of found the most hard times are when they have a difficult day and you're there shoving a microphone in their face and asking them, how do they feel? Like I've had instances at the Olympic Games where I've turned the camera off and just said, look, we'll record that again. Because like at the end of the day, you're responsible for the first time that the Irish public are seeing these people, you know, Oh, and I, I've always taken that quite seriously that you need to be able to represent the people for who they are and you might say you get a better interview because you want to see people crying on TV but I just genuinely don't think that that's a good representation of how we should be showing our, our, our athletes who have just given their life and soul into a race and it hasn't gone their way and then some idiot like me shoving a microphone in their face mm. and asking them why didn't you run faster you know so I've always just felt like those moments in particular keeping your emotions in check understanding how do I want how do I I want to be presented here and how do how do I want them to be presented? And that's a big one. And then the other thing is like when you're let's just say like I would have been lucky enough to play sport at a high level over a number of years with a lot of people who have really excelled in their careers as well. And when you're there in the moment and you've been their teammate, you've been in the dressing room with them trying to keep the emotions in check. For those like as well, like let's say, for instance, in 2014, when the Cork Ladies footballers came from 10 points down with 15 minutes to go to beat Dublin to win the All-Ireland final, I'd be friends with a lot of the girls on the Cork team and you're live on the radio and you're trying to just explain in the moment how big of an, a moment this is and how big this occasion is without getting carried away yourself mm. and also being a Cork football fan and a yeah. you know a person who's played with these girls and a person who knows these girls and who's probably going to go celebrating with these girls later you're also trying to be neutral on the radio and not have people think that you're trying to be biased so that that's probably the hardest part but you you also know like you're not a fan here you know you have a job to do and you have to get down to it you have to ask the right questions you have to do it but at the end of the day everybody who works in sport is a sport fanatic so it's hard to remove yourself from that as well and that to me has probably always been the biggest challenge and there's probably some great moments in there as well where you get some great radio you get some great TV where you can actually be a little bit human but there's definitely a balance to be struck there that maybe sometimes you can fall on either side of you know Disappointment comes in every career. Any kind of traits that you learned from playing sport at a high level that you were able to kind of, you know, use to get over disappointment or setbacks in your career or being overlooked for a certain job or kind of going, why didn't I get that? I thought I would get it or. Yeah, like I think for the biggest thing is every time you have to ask the questions, why, you know, Mm. I think sometimes when you're younger, it's hard to take that feedback. It's harder to go and ask, why didn't I get picked? Why didn't I make that Irish team or that Cork team or this team or whatever it was? I think the older you get, the better you get at going and asking for feedback. And I always say this to a lot of my friends when they're going for interviews for jobs. I'd be like, did you ask them for feedback? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, they said they'd give it. And I was like, well, chase them down and go Mm. and get it and find out why you didn't get it. Like, 
when I got this, when I didn't get the Sunday game the first time around, um, like it was the biggest career disappointment I'd ever had. And I'd had lots of sporting disappointments in the past where, you know, you, you get picked, you don't get picked, you win matches, you lose matches. And, and you do learn an awful lot. But I do think some of it just comes with experience. Some of it, you just have to go through it and you just have to get older and you have to recognize that, oh, that happened to me before. What did I learn from that? And what am I going to do this time? And particularly then when it came into my career, I was like, well, if I didn't get it the first time, I need to know why. I need to know if it was that I wasn't good enough or was it just that I wasn't right this time or is it that this is never going to happen for me? And like, they're hard questions to ask, mm. but you need to be willing to know that if the answer is something that I don't want to hear, that maybe I need to broaden my horizons and actually think about this a little. And that's why when I didn't get the Sunday game the first time around, I genuinely thought maybe this is my ceiling. Maybe there isn't anything more here for me in RTE sport. And maybe I need to look at doing something different. I've been offered jobs, uh, completely different jobs outside of the sphere of what I was actually currently working in and was seriously considering doing something else. Only that senior people in RTE asked me to stay. And when we did sit down and go through feedback, they were like, look, it's not that you weren't right for this job or it's not that you weren't ready for it. That's not the case at all. We're just going this way right now. But the next job that comes up, you're literally going to slide into it. So I think once you're kind of big enough to have those conversations and to be able to take the feedback and actually just wait and be patient, because sometimes like I wouldn't be very patient generally, you know, like I just think I probably wanted it all mm. when I was 25. But you kind of like I remember chatting to Darren Maloney and he said to me he got his big break when he was 40. And he was like, Jesus, how many of your friends do you talk to? And in their career, they get their big break when they're 40. Like mm. a lot of people feel like it should be happening when you're 20. It should be happening when you're 25. It should be happening when you're 30. But 40 is actually still quite a good point in your career to be really starting to hit the peaks. And, and that's across multiple careers, not just the one that I work in. But I do think you know, once he said kind of, you know, being an overnight sensation at 40 and then suddenly realizing that that was the point, I was probably very lucky to to get it even before that now when I when I look at it now. But that's definitely not the way I felt the first time around. I, I just thought I'm ready now. Why can't I have it? So I guess it's kind of taking those learnings and being able to, I guess, just apply them the next time around so that when the job does come up the next time around, you're so ready for it. Like when the Sunday game came around this time, I was I wasn't even sure if I wanted to take it because I was so, you know, I I had moved on. I was just I was at just such a different place in my head that I just felt so much better about it. So that when I did take it, I was completely ready for it. How proud are you to be the first permanent female host of Sunday Game? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's um, I don't know. Like I always found all the first things difficult because even when I started with the Sunday sport show I didn't know I was the first woman until a journalist asked me about it and mm. I thought oh wow okay and then it's only later you realize this is a big milestone for everybody who wants to work in this and like you know hopefully there's going to be hundreds of other women who follow in my footsteps and get to do that show because it's a fantastic experience an amazing show to work on but I definitely didn't get the magnitude of that when I started doing it. And same with the Sunday game. Like, to me, it's just a great job. It's not a great job because what you've done for women. But I think in years to come, when you sit back and you realize all the firsts, like, I think they sat a lot more uncomfortably with me in the beginning, whereas now I'm like, oh, it's great. Yeah, it's brilliant to do this. It's brilliant to do that. And you do just hope that when I go into schools in particular uh, and I chat to them, they all now see a future that they want to 
be potentially sports broadcasters, which when I was in primary school was not going to be the case. So I think if if I can help with that, then that that's a brilliant thing, you know. Unbelievable preparation must go into your job on a weekly basis. What kind of, I suppose, innate personality traits do you think that you have that have helped you to achieve the level of success you have had in your career? I'm very comfortable in chaos. That's what I would say is a uh, a big driver of all of this. It would not be for everyone because like lots of people always say to me, Jesus, how you how do you do it all? And they're they're kind of half joking, but they're kind of half serious because when they see all the multiple things that react like, you know, I'm as well as, you know, obviously doing my job. I also play Gaelic football with Kilmacud Croaks. I play basketball with Meteors. My husband plays rugby with Stillorgan, Red Farnham Rugby Club. He plays football with Croaks. My children are playing soccer, rugby, GAA. So between the four of us in the house, we are out doing sport, either one, two or three of us every single day of the week. So it's not just my job. It's also my my life is tied up in that, which is quite challenging. Um, Like even today I was, you know, coaching, I was training, you know, and then like preparing for the job part as well. So there is only so many hours in the day and you just, I suppose you make the decisions about how you fill them. In my sport, in my house, sport was always really prominent. My mom and dad were always there as well, driving us to and from sport. So it like when you talk about innate um, feelings and emotions and cultures that are, are brought about in the house, I only do this because it's what I it's what I was taught. It's it, it's completely normal to me to spend my life in the car, driving around, going to matches, coaching, doing whatever it is. And I love it. Um, and I wouldn't do it if I didn't. But it definitely needs a level of organization that I could probably be better at. Um, we have one of those big planners in our house. My husband's an accountant and he loves spreadsheets. So I think he just takes that on board as just like that's a nearly an extra hobby. The fact that he gets to color code them, I think, is just a complete novelty <laughs> to him. But we have it up on the wall and it's really just like I'm picking up here. I'm here. I'm doing this or whatever. And it wouldn't work if we weren't all bought into it. That's the other big thing. The kids know like sometimes they might come down to my training and they're there for 20 minutes. They do the warm up with us. Then Shane picks them up. He's coming from his training and you know there's a lot of that so like I said it's probably not for everyone but it really works for us and and we get a lot out of it and I also know that it's not forever you know another few years my body will be broken down I won't be able to play and all I'll be doing is sitting on my arse talking about sports so for now it uh, it works and it's great fun you know What's the best bit of advice you think you've been given or any kind of a, a mantra or any kind of a bit of advice that you kind of said you know what that's the truest thing and I've been able to hold on to that and it's been able to guide me through my career. It's funny, my um my late brother Sean used to have this saying, you can't win if you're afraid, right? And you kind of think, oh, okay, well, what does it what does it really mean though? But we, particularly since he sadly passed away a few years ago, we think about it all the time. And it's like, it's not just, you know, like a sport narrative or you know, you can't win if you're afraid. It's actually more you can't put yourself out there if you're afraid of failing. And even with, let's say, my job and, and sport and, and it has meant so much to me, but I've been very lucky that I've been able to to chase a dream that was really out of reach for a lot of people. Like it's, you know, it, it still is a like for most of my friends that I talk to, not everybody gets to do something every day that they absolutely love. And I know that, but I wasn't afraid of failing. You know, if it mm. didn't work, I would have just 
done something else. You know, like if, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I'd still be very happy. I would have found another job. You know, I I love teaching. I, I would have went teaching, you know, and I would have really enjoyed that. And or I, maybe I would have gone work in the music industry. I would have just found a way to do something. But I was never afraid of that. So like, you know, Sean's words are so true that you can't win if you're afraid. He used to say it so often that we all laugh. You know, my husband got the sticker made up and we have a gym in our house and he has it on the on the wall in the gym. And it's just a reminder of like, I suppose, just kind of how fragile it all is as well, that you kind of it, it reminds you that sometimes you do just need to go for things and then be very, very lucky when they work out as as they kind of have for us. You know, I suppose fear of failure is what holds people back in every walk of life, whether it's sport or maybe a career or launching a business, because there's you know, you don't want to be seen to fail. But if, if failure is taken away as a, an impediment, then, you know, success is the, the natural conclusion after that. Totally. But see, success isn't linear either because you, mm. you don't have to put a finite endpoint on it that says this is the only outcome that I'm happy with. Because if you chase something, something else will come of it, even if the end point isn't exact I, I've always felt that like having like a, a long line of kind of multiple targets and goals where you kind of say, OK, I'm going to get there, then I'm going to get there, then I'm going to get there. At least picking them off along the way, you might find that you get to one destination before another. So mm. you're absolutely right. I think the biggest impediment is actually placing that on yourself of just being afraid. And I've like, thankfully, I've just I've never been that way. And I guess when you're aiming for something that so many people are telling you, you've no chance of doing anyway, then there isn't a fear of failure because most people think you're never going to get to do it anyway. So the only person who you'd be really letting down is yourself. And I've always been very comfortable that like, look, whatever happens, I'll be happy. You went then and you became an author as if you didn't have enough in your plate. <laughs> and you wrote a book, um, Girls Play 2, which is... I suppose, shining a light on a lot of the accomplishments of female sports people in Ireland. What was the the rationale behind that outside of, you know, the obvious? Like, but was there, did you feel that there wasn't enough of a spotlight or was it just to try and give something aspirational to younger girls to aim at? Yeah, both really. Um, there just there wasn't enough books about female sports stars. Like when I was younger, Sonia O'Sullivan, like you and I are from Cork. Sonia O'Sullivan was such big business to us, like in the nineties mm. and the early noughties. She was such a superstar. But like she was really the only woman on TV. Like, mm. you know, like in an era where I grew up where like basketball and camogie were really prominent in Cork, where I was from, I knew them because my mom and dad took me to matches. But it's not because they were in the newspapers or on TV or on the radio, like, you know. So I think I just felt like we really need to do something about it. And like one of the big eureka moments was when like I overheard a conversation between my son and his friend, like who was a girl and they were just talking about boys are better, girls are better. You know, the same thing that you'd hear mm. in your own house or anybody else would hear. And I overheard the young girl, Ivana, saying, yeah, you're right, Luke, boys are better. And I said, why do you think boys are better? And she said, oh, because their matches are on the TV. And I just thought, you know what? we really need to do something about this because if this is what young girls are judging their worth on, that because boys' matches are on the TV more, that they're better. It's just like, we really need to do something about this. And I think you've seen a whole cultural change now where like mm. even the Women's World Cup was on this year and over a half a million people are watching the Irish women's games. There's definitely been a turn of focus now where people are understanding that women's sport has a place and that the sponsorship values and all that are really, really important. 
but so are role models. And I think for young girls to see that they can be Katie McCabe or Denise O'Sullivan or Katie Taylor or Rachel Blackmore, that's really, really important, but they need to know about them. I always felt you could write a book for adults and you might change 10% of people's minds, but you can write a book for children and change 80 to 90% of kids' minds because they don't know gender bias. They have no idea. And like, I've got a nine-year-old son who loves reading about the girls in the same way that my six-year-old daughter does. He doesn't care. Mm. Like when I, we're going to a match, he'll say, all right, girls are boys. Like he doesn't mm. care. He doesn't see it. So we need to find a way that we create it and make it simple for them. And that's why I thought a book would really be powerful for kids. And actually, to be honest, the reaction to it has just really blown me away. I would say that even in my career and the job that I have, and I'm very lucky to do it, I would still say that writing those books and the reaction they've had is probably the proudest thing I've ever done in my career. The career and everything is is class. Don't get me wrong. Like, and that is amazing. But a book is something that will push you way out of your comfort zone. Mm. Like whatever about doing all the things I was doing, it was kind of like next step, next step, next step. I'd never written a book before. I have an English degree and love writing and all that, but never thought I could do a book. So like I probably pushed myself outside my comfort zone to do it as well. And that was a big part of it. Like that now, not being afraid. Sure, look at if nobody read it, grand. You know what I mean? So uh, there was a big part of that being proud of too, you know? Outside of not being afraid of failure, there's a kind of like a, a why not attitude. Sure, like why not do it? Like what's the worst that can happen? Totally, yeah. And I think like not to be too philosophical about it, but if you've been in a family where the worst has already happened, like, mm. you know, the youngest person in my household, my 25-year-old brother died, like, and you can't change life when something like that happens. You just have to, you, you ask yourself so many times, why did this happen? Why us? Why me? Why him? You know, and when you go through that stage of grief, at some point you have to get your head up above the water again because you have to live and you have to realize that this thing can be over like that. And I know that more than anybody else. And it's not the natural order that the youngest person in the house goes first. But what it does mean is that everybody else in the house realizes, well, what what is the worst that can happen? Because we've already been through that. So why am I afraid? I shouldn't be afraid of anything. Like I only get one go at this, you know, and I might as well just try all the things that I want to try. I don't want to have any regrets. Like my poor mother had a conversation with him two nights before he died and they just managed to write out this bucket list of all these things that he wanted to do and he never got to do them. I don't want that. I don't want my children to have that. I don't want my husband to have that. And I certainly don't want my mom and dad to have that. So since then, our whole family has adopted this attitude of why not? Like right now, my mom is sailing around Croatia at the moment with her friends because, and by the way, she has no idea what she's doing on a boat, but um, she's doing it because I said to her, why not? Why why, why aren't you going? Like, you know, you, sh you should absolutely be going. And she was like, do you know what? You're right. And then she booked it. Like an hour later, she booked it because we, we kind of push each other because we all know how finite it is. And I think having that perspective in a family is actually, even though we've been through the worst of the worst, it's a really positive attitude to have. And I think it's really helped all of us, actually. What is left on your bucket list? Listen, we continuously add things to it. I've never been to South America and that's a big one on the list. I We do love to travel as well. And like my job does kind of close off certain windows where you'd love to, you know, things you'd love to do like. And then there's always like sporting things. I've never been to the Ryder Cup. I know you're obviously a big fan. Would love to get to that. Um, you know, we've we've done a lot of like World Cups, Euros, that kind of those kind of trips as well. But 
there there's always a joy in going to a sporting event that's a big one off. So we try to take off one of them every year as well. So there's a few of them that are left out there, maybe getting to a Formula One race, those kind of things that we've kept on the list, but definitely a bit of travel in there as well. And um, hopefully we're going to get to that in the next year or two. What's been your favorite sporting event you've been to? The Super Bowl. Went to the Super Bowl in 2013 and... I mean, it was just such an unbelievable sporting occasion. But like the halftime show was Beyonce as well. I mean, just it's not just the sporting event. It's yeah. actually the whole circus around it and everything. And the the power went out that year as well. So we were in the stadium for about seven hours. But it was just, uh, it's class. If, you, if, if For anybody who ever listens, if you've never been to the Super Bowl, it is one of the greatest sporting events you'll ever get to. And it it's totally worth it. Whatever you have to spend getting there, whatever you, you, you can do to make yourself get there I would say it is totally worth it who would be your your hero sporting or otherwise god there's so many it's like sport kind of lets you make heroes out of people who don't necessarily want to be heroes either but I've always found the ones who champion things for themselves you know even somebody like Kelly Harrington who's been through the mill this last year just for her to have the ability to come out and speak about how difficult she's found it all and to still be able to perform in the ring. So to keep doing the thing that, you know, is driving her to be a a double gold Olympian is unbelievable. But to also have the strength of character to come out and say, look, I've made mistakes. You know, those kind of people I draw a lot of inspiration from because you know, getting to know the real people inside them, you know how hard it is, you know how hard they train, you know how isolated they are. So heroes and sports people are a hard combo. You know, I do think sometimes we we look for our inspiration from the wrong people, you know, people who are celebrities as opposed to people who are mm. around us every day. Like, I mean, my biggest inspiration are, are my parents. Like they were just mm. superstars. They moved their family across the other side of the world just to give us a better life in Australia and brought us home when it was time to to come back when it suited all of us after you know making a life for themselves they drove us to every single sporting event we ever had my sister's a pilot they basically remortgaged their house to be able to pay for her to chase her dream you know my brother got to chase his sporting dreams being a he was about to become a semi-professional motorbike racer before he died mm-hmm. and then supporting me through a dream that lots of people thought that I would never get to to have so um They've definitely been a big inspiration of mine. And, and sometimes you don't need to look so far uh, for people to push you like that, because most of the time they're probably in the same house as you are. When I told some of my mates that I was interviewing today, they said, you have to ask her one question. And that is, has she ever been completely awestruck by any sports person where you just kind of go like, how am I going to get any question out of my mouth here, let alone uh, present a coherent sports program? I met Usain Bolt at the 2012 Olympic Games and I had put in it. So the way it works at the at those mix zones is they come off the track and then they speak to all the big dogs like NBC, ABC, and then the BBC. They do all of so they have to kind of walk through this big Z. You've probably seen it on the athletic mm. tracks when they show it on the white. But like RT are obviously the national broadcaster in Ireland, but to everybody else, we're like nobody. Like, you know. Yeah. So I had said, Hey, um, his agent is from Donegal. Like mm. so there's an Irish connection. Is there any chance I could get an interview with him? And they were like, Yeah, yeah, you can have him, but you're probably gonna have to wait like an hour and a half or whatever. And I was like, grand, yeah, no problem, I'll wait. So like literally spent the next hour and a half sitting waiting. He spoke to every blah, 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 blah. 
And then he came to me and they were like, right, you have a minute and a half. And so then I was like, um, <laughs> you saying, how does it feel to have broken another world record? And then he said, oh, yeah, it was great, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, and come here, tell us about the Irish connection. And then he went off on that. And then that was it. And I was like, OK, bye. And then I was like, Jesus, that was literally like an hour and a half of my time for 90 seconds with him. But it was uh, it was worth it. And he was very charming and all that. But I would say it is the shortest interview I've ever had in my life. But uh, definitely one of the more memorable ones. I'm a financial advisor by trade, so I'll have to ask you some financial questions. Um, what would you say your best and worst financial decisions have been? Well, I would say my best one was marrying an accountant because I let him make all of those decisions for me. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to get out the spreadsheet ever. I just ask him, is this a good investment or what do you think? Uh, so definitely marrying him was uh, column A. Uh, my worst, I don't know, like... I'm not fantastic with spending generally because I have no sense of even when we're doing the weekly shopping, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I found these lovely organic strawberries. And Shane would be like, they were like seven euro. So like <laughs> I'm not the woman you want to be sending to the grocery store. Generally, uh, my spending probably needs to be looked at seriously. But thankfully, that's what I have him for. Very good. Very good. I was sure. Look, I mean, if 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 buying expensive strawberries is your biggest mistake, yeah. you, you, you'll you'll be OK. Why one bit of advice would you give someone, say, who's listening to this podcast, who aspires to be a sports journalist or a sports broadcaster? Like when I was younger, I, I, I wanted to be a, a golf journalist like that was my dream job. Well, the one thing I would say is even what you're doing now, like you say it, it was a dream. Like there's mm. no reason why your career path can't take you that direction now. Mm. Like I would say, first of all, there's no time limit. There's no age limit. There's no real barriers to entry on this. And actually, social media has changed everything now, like even the ability to podcast and mm. to be able to reach out and speak to guests like there's nobody really that like in Ireland, let's just say, let's just take Ireland as one bubble. There is nobody in Ireland that you can't connect to within five or six touches mm. like mm. because that's just the way Ireland is now I get like I talk to people on social media all the time where they might ask me questions or can I interview can I talk to you can I do this or whatever and I would always say yeah because like those connections are actually really important so for people who are trying to get into this game in particular what I would say is use that network to get out and to speak to people and like I would often get um emails from college students in particular and they'll say oh I'll just I'll email you the questions and you can email me back if you want or whatever and I would always email them back and say don't ever do that you should always find a way to speak to somebody and to actually either meet them talk to them face to face or talk to them over zoom because they'll remember you then they won't remember an email or a piece of paper or I sent back these five questions and it was whatever whereas actually if you ask them a question you ask to meet them or you go for a coffee or something like that they will look out for you because in future they'll go oh yeah I met your man or I met her or I did this or whatever and there's a good chance that they'll remember you because like in this game in particular as well it might seem like it's a really closed shop and it might seem like it's really difficult to get into but actually there's loads of ways to get into it. There's so many more opportunities now with social media. There's so much more scope for content, like even on TikTok. It's just it's its own social platform mm. there now. So I think just trying to use your own um, 
facilities to just put yourself on air, whether that's through YouTube, through podcasting, through writing and putting it on your own blog and just reaching out to your to your your contacts, I think just makes such a big difference. And like you're right, the perseverance and all that, that that should come naturally. If you're somebody who really wants it, you're just going to go knocking down loads of doors. But I would say broadcasting yourself and actually taking it upon yourself, taking the initiative to go and to do it makes such a huge difference, you know. Would a, you know, a, a, a podcast hosted by a very successful sports broadcaster focusing on female athletes only, would that open up another avenue to you? Yeah. And to be honest, the podcast thing is something that's been swirling around for a long time. I've had lots of different conversations with lots of people who've wanted me to do different things. Mm. It's like the book. It needs to be right for you. You yeah. can't just jump in and do a podcast because you think, Usher, oh, sure, I'll I'll give that a crack. Like, you know, I am very certain about, oh, sure, what's the worst can happen? You know, I won't fail on that. Mm. I do need to really feel that it's something that means something to me to get into it. I wouldn't just jump in and go, I'll interview Katie Taylor and then I'll interview Leona McGuire and Rachel Blackmore and whatever, because they'll all say, yeah, and they'll all do it. But you need to be fully committed and I need to give it all of my time to be able to do something like that, because I also have some other ideas about different podcasts that I'd like to do. And I wouldn't like to say here I'm across these four podcasts and then spread yourself too thin mm -hmm. and then they're all shite. I wouldn't like that. So I guess it's just trying to make sure that you make the right decision about what you do. And I definitely think there's something in that. We were having some conversations about doing a cartoon series of The Girls Play 2 for um, RTE Junior. And that's something that we might still do, but a lot of it just takes time, you know. But if I could have a whole series that was a podcast and there was also a bit of TV and stuff in that, then that makes sense to have a whole network. But it's just right now, I just have not found a spare minute to sit down and draw out the proposals properly. But never say never, I guess is probably uh, how I feel about that one right now. Do you think at times that sport is too much of kind of a, of a zero sum game that like, you know, if you don't achieve the pinnacle that you're you're viewed as being a failure? 100 percent. And I think that is the harshest lesson that we try to teach kids really early, because like I coach a lot of kids now and I they're all already obsessed with winning, you know, mm. and it's because culture teaches them that mm. if you're not a winner, you're a loser. But mm. actually, the benefits of sport are phenomenal, like outside of winning and losing. It's, you know, in terms of like teamwork, communication, being able to understand feedback, being able to follow rules, you know, like simple things that are lessons for life that will help you in the boardroom as much as they will on the pitch. But we are so obsessed with did you win? Did you score? Did you instead of saying did you have fun today? Mm. Did you learn anything? And I'm always like when I coach kids, the one thing that I always ask them afterwards is I say, first of all, did you have fun? Did Does everybody want to come back? And then lastly, what do you think you did well today? And by asking kids in particular what they did, then they'll tell you something that you probably haven't even thought of. You know, they might say, oh, I passed the ball to him really well or, or whatever it is. But you're right, because by focusing in on what the outcome is, you're losing people who are not interested in that. And that actually projects further on into their lives where like how many people do you know in an office scenario where they're like, 
I'm not really that into sport. Mm. But actually, they would be into sport if they viewed it through a different prism. Mm. Like they're probably watching it now and they're watching the Premier League and thinking, I have no interaction with these people. I have no empathy for what they're going through. I can't understand Mm. that. But actually, if you just broke it down to how do I spend my Saturday afternoons going to the gym or doing yoga or doing swimming or whatever it is, those people would have a completely different affinity with sport if they saw it through that prism as opposed to the win at all cost scenario, which I think we way over push in this country. And listen, I'm somebody who's come through that elite sport environment, but I still and I obviously work in it now in a different frame, but I still think the value of sport is much wider than just that. How important thing habits are in a- achieving a level of success, be it in sport, you know, they say that like, you know, success leaves clues and that's, you know, it's kind of small things done every day that kind of, you know, build up and compound into a, you know, a big benefit. Um, I would be a big fan of Jordan Peterson and, yeah. he, you know, his big thing is like be be 1% better yes, or today than we were yesterday. Absolutely. But that stuff is huge. Like, you know, when people talk about like, even it sometimes probably drives people mad when they listen to the in the media, the players saying, oh, I just focus on the process and mm. it's all about this and whatever. And like, it, it's a terrible soundbite and it sounds really boring and nobody wants to hear that. But actually, that's what makes people successful. And it's the same in any job, like even with my preparation for work. I do the same thing every week. You know, I'll read the team sheets. I'll make notes about people. I'll come back and I follow the same process all the time because it works for me. So it doesn't matter whether you do it in a sporting environment or in your job. People do things and like people do it subconsciously without even knowing they're doing it. But that's the process that they follow. And like, I'm all about that. I do think process is what makes you better. And I think you have to find a routine and a rhythm that works for you. And it doesn't really matter whether it's a sporting analogy or whether it's just something that's going to make your business better by following the same processes every day. That's where you get the increments, you know, so I'm 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 a huge fan of all of that. And I think you're right that Jordan Peterson's work on this generally around the one percenters has been massive because they're the things that are the unseens and they are the ones that actually make the biggest difference. So I'm I'm all in on it, as boring as it might sound. I heard a very good uh, expression recently from a, a client of mine. He said that uh, consistency is greater than occasional brilliance. So yeah. I, thought that, I thought that was a good one. I love that. What sporting event would you love to cover as a broadcaster? Is it like Ryder Cup, Adair Manor, 2027, RT, get the rights? Yeah, Jeez, um, we want to be we want to be bidding for that now. I tell you, <laughs> you'll have to find a few pounds for that. Uh, that's going to be a mega one. I'd love to be at that. But genuinely right. Not just because I'm working on it now, but if you'd have asked me a couple of years ago, what's the one sport you'd love to work on, but you're never going to get to work on it? I would have said the rugby because like we went, we've been rugby fans all our lives. You know, like my family would have been a GAA house, obviously played, went to everything, whatever. But we were just rugby supporters Mm. and like went to the mall as fans, like went to the 99 World Cup, used to go to all the monster matches. So we were just into it. But like I never, ever ever thought like whatever about having a dream of presenting the Sunday game I never even dreamed of presenting the rugby because it was so far beyond like like there was loads of other people doing the job I never thought it was going to come available I never asked about it mm. never even in my I never even had one single conversation about the rugby until I got a, a phone call randomly out of the blue one day saying how would you feel about doing a bit of rugby and I was like oh wow I'd love that so to in a long-winded way the rugby world cup final I'm going to get to do it this year and if Ireland are in it hopefully we'll get to do it from Paris but either way, 
it is going to be one of the most special occasions of my life because I have been a rugby fan for longer than I can tell you. And I've been to the last two rugby world cups. I've never been to a rugby world cup final. And I just, I think knowing that you've come so far that you get to do something that you couldn't have even have dreamed of is going to be just an amazing pinch me moment that uh, I hope I'll be ready for. Who do you think will win the world cup? Oh, I'm going to take a step out there now. And uh, I just, I, I don't know why. I I just feel it like Ireland are going to win this World Cup. I don't know why. I just, something tells me that this is the best squad we've ever had. Mm. This is the best chance that they feel that they have to win the World Cup. And I know you can only say that now because there could be way better Irish teams that come down the tracks. But I just, we've been dealt the toughest draw mm. we've had to go to New Zealand and win we've had a full calendar year of of victories and it just seems like they're cut from a different cloth this time around I think the only thing that could catch them is maybe having to play France in a, in a quarterfinal in Paris would be a tricky one but um, if they can avoid that yeah why not why not this is a question I ask all my um, all my guests because obviously it ties in with the um, the title of the podcast. What would you say your blueprint for success has been? I guess the biggest thing is knowing what you want, having a kind of a a realistic enough end goal that if you get there or somewhere close to it, that you're going to be happy. I guess my blueprint has always been: I'm going to aim here, and if I get to here that's more than enough for me. And if I get to here, I will be so ecstatic. And if I get to here, it'll be beyond belief and I'll be, you know, living living a dream. And the thing is, understanding that it doesn't have to happen straight away. I think that's the biggest thing that I probably learned through my career. I wanted a lot very early and then I was disappointed all the time. And then the more I realized that you can get a little often and then it keeps driving you. And actually, as opposed to the way in my head, I kept thinking, sure, why aren't they giving that to me now? I'm ready for that now. Why why aren't I getting that now? Why aren't I getting that now? As opposed to understanding, these are actually just steps, small steps here that are going to take you to here eventually. So I think it's actually just understanding how to be patient and how to find a way of getting there. But you definitely need to have something that you are aiming for, because otherwise you can just get a little clouded in your judgment about kind of spreading yourself. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for this. But actually just aiming for something and knowing that there's multiple ways to get there, but just aiming for it and having that as your concrete, uh, I've always found to be a really good one. I knew in my heart and soul what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to get there. But just knowing that I wanted to do that really, really helped me in terms of in, in terms of my blueprint. I really want to thank you for coming on. Oh, and, no worries um, at all. Jesus, happy to know, do it. And I, I wish you nothing but the best in your future career. And I hope that you will be broadcasting live from Paris in a couple of weeks' time. Fingers and crossed. Jackie, thanks right. a million. Thanks a million. Take Slow. care. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. For more information about me, John O'Driscoll, and my day job as a financial advisor, please visit blueprintfp.ie. For more information on the podcast or to listen to other episodes, please visit the-blueprint.ie. Catch you all in the next episode. Take care.